Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And on your screen right now are Fortnite football players. Now, if you looked at the thumbnail and you said, hey, I thought he was going to talk about college football players, and these are clearly NFL football players. Congratulations. You do recognize the uniforms of NFL football teams, but that's actually part of how this Supreme Court case came to be. It was about the NCAA restricting college athletes from doing things with their name and likeness and payment options, uh, and in so restricting them, potentially running afoul of antitrust law, which is why we're also back in business with Epic versus Apple. If you haven't checked it out, we've got two separate playlists, the Epic Trial playlist and an antitrust Epic, which incorporates the trial that goes over from the very beginning till now what's been happening with Epic's fight against Apple and Google and trying to prove to the federal court system that Apple is violating antitrust laws by controlling access to their operating system by not allowing things like another Epic Game Store to be on their phones. And as we await the opinion in that trial, well, Apple has made the interesting decision to actually file this Supreme Court case that went up this week with the court as informative of the Supreme Court's thinking. Or as Stephen Totillo found, and as he put up here on Twitter, Stephen Totillo of Axios, formerly of Kotaku, Apple's lawyers in its case against Epic just submitted a copy of this week's NCAA versus Alston Supreme Court decision to the judge in Epic versus Apple. They say it provides guidance on issues in the Fortnite case. They actually say it provides guidance on several issues in the case, including the analysis of pro-competitive business justifications, substantially less restrictive alternatives to challenged restraints and remedies. And then they attach a copy of the case. Now, Stephen Totillo, after I commented on the fact that this made sense, from a certain perspective, said, how might it help Apple? From their brief statement, it seems like it's an effort to minimize the scale of a potential ruling against them. And one can see how that comes out from that statement because they talk about remedies at the end. But no, if you've been in virtual legality, or even if you haven't, this is actually about saying, hey, our argument wins. We don't have liability. We aren't violating antitrust laws. And you might have heard me talk about Epic versus Apple somewhat extensively if you checked out our Understanding Alston video about the NCAA in college football. But if you're here in virtual legality primarily for video games or technology questions, you might have just skipped that episode. And I don't blame you. It's an hour long. And it might talk about something that you're not terribly interested in with respect to college sports in America. But as part of the discussion in that case, the Supreme Court, in a 9-0 decision, so they all agreed with the language put forth in this document, actually said quite a lot about how they think the antitrust laws are to be enforced. In this particular ruling, they held that the NCAA was restraining trade with respect to certain of their rules that prohibited educational expenses for college students. And it's a little bit more complicated than that. That's why the video is an hour long. But suffice it to say, the court here was evaluating on the rule of reason, which we'll talk about again in this video, and you saw referenced in Epic versus Apple as a series. They evaluated the NCAA's case and said, well, it's wanting. You are violating the antitrust laws because of X, Y, and Z. Ironically, or somewhat interestingly, at bare minimum, they wound up talking about when antitrust laws shouldn't be applied, perhaps more than they talked about when they should be applied, even though they were ruling against the NCAA here. So first, let's talk about restraints of trade. You've seen this page before, but it's important to note what the courts are dealing with 
with respect to the Sherman Antitrust Act. The very same Section 1 that has been brought up in Epic versus Apple was brought up in the NCAA versus Alston. And it says every contract in restraint of trade is declared to be illegal. But that presents the courts with a problem because every contract, by virtue of it being a signed agreement between two parties, even if you want to take it down to just spending their time on one thing over another, is restraining trade in some respect. And so they said that can't possibly be how we enforce it. And so we have to come up with some kind of reasonability rule. What this actually says to the courts is every contract contract that is unreasonable in its restraint of trade is declared to be illegal. So they came up with this quote unquote rule of reason. This is how the Alston court describes it. This court has sometimes spoken of a three-step burden-shifting framework as a means for distinguishing between restraints with anti-competitive effect that are harmful to the consumer and restraints stimulating competition that are in the consumer's best interest. Said another way, there are a whole bunch of things that companies can do that quote-unquote restrain trade that actually increase competition because that company is now more viable and ultimately increase consumer welfare because more good stuff gets down to the consumer level. So we have to be careful as a court about what we choose to strike. As we have described the rule, the plaintiff has the initial burden to prove that the challenged restraint has a substantial anti-competitive effect. So you start this out, you're thinking about Epic versus Apple. Epic has to show to the court that what Apple is doing has some substantial anti-competitive effect. By blocking out other stores, they are preventing something from happening with respect to competition. By taking their 30%, they are preventing lower cost goods from getting down there to the consumer. They are taking a cut that is not warranted, whatever you want to describe it as. Epic has to prove that. If they do, the burden shifts. That burden shifts to the defendant to show a pro-competitive rationale for the restraint. So Apple comes in and says, okay, well, you think that restrains competition. Okay, that's fine. Here's why we do it. We improve data. We improve security. People want a walled garden. We're providing a product that wouldn't exist if we didn't have some of these protections in place. That's some of what the NCAA winds up saying in respect of their case. They say, well, amateurism, the very notion of people not being professionally paid, provides a different kind of product than pro football or pro basketball. And people have evinced a desire to get that product. So it needs to be defended in some respects. Now, interestingly enough, the court here in the Supreme Court level doesn't actually challenge the notion that the NCAA can bring that as a significant pro-competitive effect. We're actually seeing other court cases deal with that separately, but the NCAA wins that in certain respects, but loses when we get to the third prong. If the defendant can make that showing, if Apple can show, hey, there's a pro-competitive reason for this, whether it's data, security, market desire, whatever, the burden shifts back to the plaintiff, to Epic, to demonstrate that the pro-competitive efficiencies could be reasonably achieved through less anti-competitive means. Now, that's the overall description here, and it's a little bit ambiguous, right? If you can think of anything under the sun that could be marginally less anti-competitive, Is that enough to win the day for this third prong for a plaintiff in an antitrust case? And the Supreme Court finds very definitively that that is not the case, that even though the quote here is any less anti-competitive means, presuming almost anything, that's not what the courts are to do. And the Supreme Court in the United States is essentially directing all of the lower courts on these topics when they write an opinion like this. They say, we agree with the NCAA's premise that antitrust law does not require businesses to use anything like the least restrictive means of achieving legitimate business purposes. This is something you saw fought about in Epic versus Apple, that Apple doesn't have to come up with the platonic ideal, the very 
least possible restrictions put on competition in order to achieve their walled garden or data or privacy or security ends. No, the Supreme Court says to the contrary, courts should not second guess degrees of reasonable necessity so that the lawfulness of conduct turns upon judgments of degrees of efficiency. The courts below us that we are directing should be very cautious about substituting their own notions of efficiency for a business that does this every day. That would be a recipe for disaster, the Supreme Court continues, for a skilled lawyer will have little difficulty imagining possible less restrictive alternatives to most joint arrangements. By the time you're in court, with hindsight being 2020, you can have a lawyer get up there and make a presentation and say, well, if they just tweaked this, it would be less anti-competitive. And so we should win the day. The Supreme Court here in Alston is framing out what the nine justices feel is antitrust laws that stands today. Now, taking a sidestep here, I find a lot of this language to be unlikely to actually effectively be adopted by at least a portion of the Supreme Court. It seems to me like they allowed this language in this particular opinion because they wanted the, the end result, the 9-0 decision against the NCAA. That's easily justified on a number of different grounds, and they didn't care quite as much about what Justice Gorsuch wound up saying in the opinion. That'll be borne out or not in future cases, but it is interesting as of right now that you have a unanimous court going out with language like this with big-time antitrust lawsuits like Epic versus Apple waiting in the wings. Again, they say, we broadly agree with the legal principles the NCAA evokes. As we have discussed, antitrust courts must give wide berth to business judgments before finding liability. Similar considerations apply when it comes to the remedy. Remember, if you think about the court filing that Mr. Totillo found, they were talking about what is a least restrictive thing? What is the Supreme Court saying about remedies? What is the Supreme Court saying about these various aspects? And they say, Judges must be sensitive to the possibility that the continuing supervision of a highly detailed decree could wind up impairing rather than enhancing competition. Costs associated with ensuring compliance with judicial decrees may exceed efficiencies gained. The decrees themselves may unintentionally suppress pro-competitive innovation and even facilitate collusion. Judges must be wary, too, of the temptation to specify the proper price, quantity, and other terms of dealing, cognizant that they are neither economic nor industry experts. So you look at this and they say, the court here is saying, judges, be very, very careful. Don't substitute your own thought process. Don't tweak prices. The judge shouldn't say, oh, 30% is too high, but 27.5% is okay. They should be very wary of using their judicial power to interfere on this way with the entire process. After all, the court continues, even under the best of circumstances, applying the antitrust laws can be difficult, and mistaken condemnations of legitimate business arrangements are especially costly because they chill the very pro-competitive conduct the antitrust laws are designed to protect. To know that the Sherman Act prohibits only unreasonable restraints of trade is thus to know that attempts to meter small deviations is not an appropriate antitrust function. So look, this is a lot of legalese, right? But when you go back to the rule of reason and this third prong, when Epic has to show, okay, Apple has probably made a case that there are pro-competitive reasons for why they do what they do, why they restrict access to their ecosystem. It's hard to argue against that on a fundamental theoretical level. And then Epic can come back and say, well, it's too much for what they're seeking to achieve, that it's not just any less anti-competitive means. No, no, no. It doesn't require anything like the least restrictive means. And the court shouldn't be meeting out small deviations 
That's not an appropriate antitrust function that you can see why Apple decided to turn this in to the judge. Now, the judge would have been aware of this. This is a case directly on points that she is currently considering under a pending opinion. So she would have known that this happened when it happened. But still, Apple wanted to make sure that this was in. Why? Because at the end of the day, all of this language is saying this. Judges make for poor central planners and should never aspire to the role. The antitrust rules don't just require any little thing that you can improve upon in a business arrangement. They should be given wide latitude, a strong ability to conduct business because we are bad at fixing those kinds of things. And all of this language went in a 9-0 decision this week. And so Apple decided to present it to the court. Now, the last thing I'll leave you with here is that it's also interesting that there is language favoring Epic. After all, this case was one in which the court found that the antitrust laws did apply to the NCAA. And so there is language that says things like this. The NCAA's argument that amateurism is something to be defended and to get out of the rule of reason misapprehends the way a defendant's pro-competitive business justification relates to the antitrust laws, says the court. Firms deserve substantial latitude to fashion agreements that serve legitimate business interests. That's what we've said in all the rest of the language we just read. And agreements that may include efforts aimed at introducing a new product into the marketplace. But none of that means a party can relabel a restraint as a product feature and declare it immune from Section 1 scrutiny. Now, the NCAA is a significantly worse actor here than Apple on this legal framework. I'm not qualifying any of that with respect to the institutions themselves. The NCAA has gone out there and said, essentially amateurism and a case from 1984 means that we don't have to actually meet some of these burdens. And that's how the Supreme Court interpreted it. That's what I think the NCAA was doing. Apple isn't really saying that. Apple is saying, okay, if we go through rule of reason, then here are the reasons why data security, et cetera. And here are the reasons why we can't do that in a functionally different way. And Epic and Apple are having that fight in that third prong. But if the court were so inclined, they could say what Apple is doing here with respect to a walled garden is what the NCAA was trying to do with respect to amateurism and simply say, well, you can't label your restraint a benefit and get out of this scrutiny. Apple's not going to get out of the scrutiny in the case that will ultimately be decided in this particular trial, but it might have a little problem with this kind of language. In this suit, as in any, the Supreme Court says, the district court had to determine whether the defendant's arguments harmed competition and whether any pro-competitive benefits associated with their restraints could be achieved by substantially less restrictive alternative means. And ultimately, they found that they could with respect to the NCAA, that you didn't need certain of these rules. It will be interesting to see what the court does in Epic versus Apple, whether you get quotations from any of this from Alston. The court can't simply ignore that this kind of language was put out there by a 9-0 Supreme Court decision in the very week that this decision was being thought about. But it may not move the needle, and it will be certainly very interesting to see. Certainly, Apple thinks it helps them. And hopefully, after watching this video, you understand why that is. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you like talking about business and law, Epic versus Apple, and more, please consider supporting the channel on Patreon, Streamlabs, buying something from the store, or just subscribing, ringing bells, upvoting, downvoting, leaving comments, leaving notes for Google to understand that we're doing this channel and having fun here and telling your friends. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. 
It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.